You all have done a really wonderful job worshiping Jesus. Now preach with me. Would you do that tonight? And would you all do that over here? Would you, especially the executive pastor? I want to know if you'll preach with. I like to get to the head man, boy. Were you glad about the announcement? If you weren't here Sunday morning, our announcement of our executive pastor that's right under me in leadership is Pastor Benaiah Snyder. And he's going to lead us and help us and go before us. Somebody say amen. Amen. It is such a joy to preach and teach about the Lord and his goodness to us. And I have been doing the book of Revelation, as you're aware, but tonight I'm taking a break from the last chapter. Next week we'll, we'll finish up Revelation, then we'll jump into the book of Daniel. And I'm having, um, I, I'm not trying to create response, but I am telling you that I'm having people, I even had a secretary from another pastor tell me she's watching. So if you're watching, Vic, thank, thanks. Um, these teachings on Revelation, have you enjoyed those? And, it, and, and this is proof that Revelation is a blessing and a joy and such a, an incredible promise to the believer. But in the same way, in the traverse, it is, uh, it's not good if you don't serve Jesus. And, and uh, we want everyone that can know the Lord to be saved. Amen? That's the mission of our church. That's the goal of our church is to find the lost, bring the lost in, lead them to Jesus, and then teach them and nurture them in the ways of the Lord so they become stronger. When I started this church, and I say, always listen to me. Now, I want you to listen real close about this. And I told a friend of mine this today. When I say I, are you listening? That is a small I with a dot. That's not a capital I. That's a small I. But I have to, if I'm involved, I say I, but it's not a capital I. Jesus did it all. Amen? But he uses different ones of us. So if you hear me say that word, don't think that I'm promoting myself. That's a small with a dot. But when I started this church, I had a few goals. Now, if you were at the Boys and Girls Club with us when we moved over from Studio City Cafe to the Boys and Girls Club, you will know that for a while there was a sign out there that said this, send us your basket cases. <laughs> Why? Because I have been a basket case and Jesus saved me. Anybody else in here been lost and found besides me? And there was another one. Uh, I was interviewed by a newspaper uh, a little while after that, and they said, What's, what do you want to do? in this church. And I said, I want to do one thing. I want to build a stand-alone Christian. And the Holy Spirit gave me that term. And he says, what's that mean? They're independent of the need of church? I said, no, not at all. But I want to build a child of God, someone that comes to Jesus, that we can drop them off on a desert island without any books or anything and have enough Jesus in them to survive this world. In fact, be victorious. That's what a standalone Christian is. Someone that's got enough of the word in them. Friday, I was joy and privileged to be at my old alma, alma mater, Evangel University, and, and uh, the superintendent of the Assemblies of God, Doug Clay, who I've known since he was in college, was preaching a tremendous message. And I do want to tell you this. I was absolutely thrilled beyond, I mean, I was overwhelmed 
because there were 20, about, there's about 2,400 students at Evangel, and there were about uh, seven or 800 visitors there. So we have over 3,000 people in that great chapel. And when they started singing this song, Nobody, I want, to, I want us to hear that sometime. Man, it's a powerful song. Almost as good as yours, Marty. It's great. When they started singing that song, I saw 2,500 kids raising their hands and praising God in that house. And my friends, I want to tell you, I, my strength was re- renewed and my vigor was renewed because the power of God was so strong in Evangel's chapel. And I was talking to the president after Mike Rakes, Dr. Rakes and Carla and, and uh, Darla. And he said, this is what, she said, this is a really a milder version of what chapel normally is. So I'm going to go back up there and take our staff and, and he invited me up for a chapel service because the presence of God was so strong. And while while um, Doug Clay, our superintendent, or the superintendent of the Assemblies of God, not mine, but a dear friend, was preaching, he made a point. He made a point at the end of all of his great, great preaching. And it was a tremendous message. But it boiled down to this. There are two things he said that we need in the church And there are two things that we need in individual lives today. Number one is the Word, and the second one is the Holy Spirit. And without those two incredibly important areas, those those ingredients in our life, without the Word and without the Holy Spirit, you ain't got nothing. You've got religion. You've got an emptiness. You've got a form of godliness, but denying the power and I, I believe this, and I'm, when, he, when he said that, I, it was just part of a phrase, but it struck me with such force. I thought, my God, that's the most profound thing. I, I, I mean, it's simple, but it's deep that the Word, and we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the actual Word, but we're talking about truth. The Word and the Holy Spirit. That's the two most important things that you can have and seek in your life. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. In that teaching and in those services, I was, again, I was renewed. My strength was renewed. I I had great hope to see the revival that's coming to that great school. And I know in Dr. Tim Hill's uh, uh, in Lee University, they're having revival. and, And I'm seeing this come around the country And in the midst of probably the most evil time of history, we don't have, he said, well, Sodom and Gomorrah. That was one area of about seven or eight little cities in that community there, maybe 10 the most, Sodom and Gomorrah, a community of little villages and towns and some very large ones. But in that area, that's one. I'm talking about globally, we're Sodom and Gomorrah, globally, globally. Oh, occasional amen would help me. Amen? There's sin in the world. And it's an acceptable thing. And to, to, to come against sin in today's market is, is, a, is a social no-no. You know, don't say anything about that. Don't say anything. I think it's a time where we have to say something about sin. I think it's a time where we have to do more than say something. We have to stand for what's right and live for what's right and serve God for what's right. In Joshua, 
I'm going to be speaking out of Joshua chapter 5 and, and primarily in verse 13 and following and also in Exodus 32. But I want to put this application to our lives today. In Joshua, the fifth chapter, now this is where Joshua is taking over the leadership from Moses to take the children of Israel into the promise, into Canaan. And Canaan, that land was full of a lot of different nations, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all the ites, and all these different groups of people that were all um, enemies of Israel, but the land was given to Israel as a promise from God. In fact, it was portioned out by every one of the tribes they would have of the 12 tribes, there would be a certain area of inheritance, and that was their inheritance waiting. So Joshua is getting ready to go into this promise after he's taken over the leadership from Moses. We're going to do this backward and go into Joshua and then back to Moses and how the preparation took place. When he's getting ready to go in, in chapter 5, they had just instituted a covenant called circumcision. The, the covenant, all the men were circumcised, and that was a covenant separating them from everybody else in every other nation. Now, that covenant was extremely important to God because it was separating, and I'm telling this whole message tonight is about separating yourself from the world. When you go into Samuel, 1 Samuel, and see where David challenged Goliath. Never one time did David speak the name Goliath. Never. He knew it. Everyone was talking about Goliath. He's nine foot tall. He's massive. He's, he's, no one could hurt him or harm him. He's, he's got armor. He's covered all over. He's got armor bearer. He's killed with his sword. I mean, nobody can harm this guy. He's, he's, he's something bigger than anyone could come against. But when David went against him, he didn't, he didn't call him Goliath by his name. When I saw this one time the Lord showed this to me, I like to fell over because I realized how important covenants are with God. Do you have a covenant? It's called the blood covenant. The blood of Jesus Christ. Are you glad for that? Here's what David did. When he started running toward Goliath, he said, who is this uncircumcised giant? He said this, who is this guy that's not in covenant speaking to me? Now, let me put that into your personal life. Anything in this world that's contrary to the word and I said the Word and the Holy Spirit are your two ingredients for life. Anything that's not in covenant with the Word is something that's, that, that we don't want to come into our life. David said this, I will not let this uncircumcised or this voice that's out of covenant with God come into my life and control me. You cannot allow anything that's out of covenant with God to control your life or enter your life or be part of your life. You have to separate yourself from anything that's out of covenant with God. Amen? Amen. So here's Joshua, and in chapter 5, they had just 
perform this covenant agreement of circumcision. They're getting ready to cross over. And in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, the word of God says this. In 12, it said that all the manna, just keep 13 up there. But in 12, it said all the things that they'd had getting to this point had stopped. The manna had stopped, the, all the food. And they were going to go in now and, and on their own, they were going to find the blessings of God in, in, this, in this promised land. Verse 13 says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, and he's getting ready now. Jericho's right across, right across the Jordan. Right over there, you can see the walls of the city, which was impenetrable, massive. Historians say the walls were so wide you could drive a tractor trailer around the insides of the top walls of Jericho. So it was something that was, and here they are with swords and spears. But when he was there and he's getting ready, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Here's a man, but this, you can see in, in Scripture, this wasn't a normal person. This is someone standing with a drawn sword. And, and Joshua wants to know whose side. I want to tell you something today. We're real big on whose side are you on. Are you on this side? Are you on, uh, do you think this way or do you think that way? Which area? And, and we're so side-oriented today. And you can see it was no different then than it is today. And Joshua saw this guy and he thought, this dude is formidable. And he's nobody I want to mess with. He is powerful. And he walks up hoping, hoping that he would say, well, I'm on the side of right. So Joshua knew by mandate of God, he'd been ordained by God. He'd been, uh, he would, was put into place to take Moses' place. He was going to lead him in across Jordan into the promise. And he's, first thing he does, he sees this guy and he goes, I hope he's on our side. I hope that's not a... Well, a picture of what we're facing. And he walks up to him and he asks him, are you for us or for our enemies? And here's the reply, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord. Look at this, as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. He said this, and I'm telling you this today. It's not a matter of sides. It's not if God's on our side. The point is, are we on God's side? That's all that matters. That's all that matters. I mean, after that, you don't have to go into any little political boundaries or questions or moral thought or any question that is it questionable, is it right or is it wrong. If you're on God's side, you're on the right side, and that's the word of God. Get it? God's not on our side. Well, I thought he was on our No, no. He's, we're on his side. He's leading us. He's guiding us. And he said, I'm the commander. You say, well, who was this? This is called a Christophany in the Old Testament. This is Christ in the Old Testament. 
manifesting himself. Well, Jesus came to Bethlehem. Let me tell you something, honey. Read Revelation chapter 1. He'll tell you, I am. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I was and I am and I will always be. And there are several times in the Old Testament where Jesus manifested himself in the Old Testament. And this is now who we learn from the birth of Mary and this name given above all names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, has this name of Yeshua, but he has always been. And here's Jesus standing at the beginning of their entry into the promise of Canaan, and he walks up to him, and he says, are you on my side, or are you for us, or the enemy? He goes, I'm not on your side. I'm the commander of the host of the army, and I want to tell you today, that's still one of the main titles of my God that served me, that died and rose and sits on the right hand of the Father. He is the commander of the host of the armies of God today. And there is no competition. There's no army or no government that's going on today or in the future that has any effect on his commandership. He is, was, and always will be. When Joshua really realized that, I want in my life to have those times where I realized that. And I'll guarantee you, listen to me, all of the arrogance of religion and the apathy of religion and all the I don't need anymore, I've got it, or I've got my own thought pattern, I know what I believe, all that is baloney. When you get into the presence of the Almighty God, when you stand in the presence of Jesus, you're not going to be arguing theology or doctrine. You're going to fall on your face before him and acknowledge him as king of kings and lord of lords. He fell on his face. Joshua fell face down onto the, to the ground in reverence. And he asked, what message does my Lord have for me? Boy, now he's saying this. Not are you for us or against He said, what have you got for me? What can you tell? What? message. You see, I have to have a word from God. I've got to have a word from God. I'm going to ask him, what do you want me to know? What do you want to tell me? What do I need to hear? And if I'll stop talking and start listening and start bowing and stop standing and start humbling myself instead of elevating myself and get before God and I ask him, then I will get a response from the commander. And so will you. The commander of the Lord's army. And look at that word, L-O-R-D. That's capital L. That's another dynamic name of God. That's in the area of Elohim. That's in the area of Jehovah that's in the area of all the great names of God. He has, we put Jehovah above all names, and then a title, Nisi, Zetkini, Shalom, all the different things that, that are, are characteristics. But Jehovah is God, and beside him there's none other. And here's the man that is telling him, I am the commander of the host. <clears throat> and he says to him, the commander in verse 15, of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals for the place you're standing holy ground. So Joshua did. 
Take off your sandals. What are you saying? This was a custom. Reverence me. Reverence me. When, <clears throat> when you get into the presence of Jesus, you'll reverence him. It's not some act that you're going to do. It's not a form of doing something. <clears throat> it's a necessity to know that when you're in the presence of the Almighty God, you are going to do whatever you can do to humble yourself as much as you can. And he said, take those shoes off. That's the second time he told Moses. He said, Moses, speaking from a burning bush. He says, who are you? He says, I'll tell you, take your shoes off, son. You're on holy ground. Listen, my friends. If we're fortunate enough here, if we're blessed enough, if we seek God enough and we contrite ourselves enough, if we bow before him enough and serve him enough for him to invite us into his presence, let's take our shoes off and put our face on the ground and reverence him for the king that he is and listen to what he has to say. So Joshua did. Now go to Exodus chapter 32. We're going backward, but I'll make sense of it. Moses was given a mandate from God. We're getting ready to get a transfer from Moses to Joshua. We're at verse chapter 32, chapter 33, 4, 5, 6, up to 40 is primarily temple information. It's the things that were needed to make the temple right. It's the things that were needed, the instruments and utensils that were needed. It was the construction of the ark of the covenant that would be the place where God's spirit dwelt and led Israel. Something so sacred and holy. But he didn't speak too much about anything else from 33, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 40, except for the preparing and getting all the articles together in the tabernacle. But in verse 32, God called, in 31, God called Moses to the mountain, Moriah, the mountain of God, Horeb, the same place. And he's on that mountain in this fog, this, this, this spirit of God comes around him and God gives him the commandments that we now call the laws of Moses. There are 613 laws that God gave Moses for Israel to live and to work under. But he gave 10 commandments that were primary to everything. And, he write, he, and God, with the finger of God, wrote them on a clay, on, on a rock uh, tablet, back in front. If you sit around some old rabbis, they will tell you that the letters in that tablet floated. They weren't even connected. It was so holy. Moses starts to come down off the mountain. And all of a sudden, he starts to realize something. Verse 1. When the, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. This is his brother. This is family. 
This is someone that's supposed to be keeping the ship while he's gone. And a brother and a sister, Miriam. And he said, come and make us, I'm sorry. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. And they said, come make us gods who will, who will go before us. As for this fellow, look at this. He's been up for like 40 days. As for this fellow, they forgot him. I was talking to some pastors the other day. I said, you know what really kills you as a pastor? He said, what? I said, if I die on Friday and they have me a really nice funeral Saturday, Monday they'll go, Sam who? <laughs> That's a joke, guys. I mean, it's human nature. They're going, this guy, this fellow. What do you mean this fellow? He's the guy. You mean the one that tapped the water and the Red Sea parted? The one that asked God to bring manna and he fed you? The one that said, you're not satisfied with that and he brought quail? The one that hit a rock and a, enough water gushed out for millions? Of, are you talking about this fellow? There was absolutely the most insulting thing. They forgot what God had used this man to you bring them out to stand before Pharaoh with ten plagues to watch his staff, an actual staff. When he threw it down, it became a serpent. And here come the magicians of Egypt in with smaller ones and threw them down. And the serpent, that was the staff of Moses, ate the rest of, I mean, gobbled them up right there literally in front of everybody to show his preeminence. This fellow, how quickly, when, when, when things don't go quick enough, you know why I don't pull spiritual rabbits out of hats? Let me just, I, I've been to churches where every Sunday, I've had pastors call me and say, hey, I need a gimmick. I need something, man. I need something. And if, if a person's healed on Sunday, then they've got to figure out a way. And after a while, we start manufacturing things so people don't lose interest. I will never do that. Never will I man It's going to be the real true power of the Holy Spirit or none, but his power is plenty. Amen? Constant. They had, for in that short amount of time, as for this fellow, <laughs> man, as for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. He's gone. And Aaron answered them when they said that, so he comes up with a, a, an answer. I want to tell you something. When you come up with a religious answer that's a substitute for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you're asking for death. Emotionalism, sensationalism, fanaticism in place of anointing. You see, there's something about the anointing. When I was standing down there tonight, I felt the presence of God in me. I asked Jesus, please, give me more of you. Let me have that time with you. I want intimacy with you. And there's no emotionalism or fanaticism. There's, there's nothing that's going to replace the anointing in your life. So he says, bring me your gold. Take off your earrings. 
your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So they come and they have an enormous pile of gold earrings. Oh, all right, here I'm meddling. Will you let me meddle? I only needed one to say yes. Isn't it funny how money worked its way into a substitute for the anointing? Bring me your gold. He didn't say, bring an offering. Let's have sacrifice. Passover, nothing. He said, bring me your gold. Well, pastor, there you are meddling again. My friends, if I am afraid to touch sacred cows that have cropped up in religion today, you better get somebody else to preach here because I am not going to overlook the sacred cows and these things that have stepped in in place of the anointing. I'm going to preach the truth and nothing but the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit in our church and in my life I'm going to live that. I may be preaching in a phone booth but I'll preach that. They took their rings off. They fashioned us. He took, verse 4, he took what they'd handed him and, and he cast and, and, he, and, he, and made it into an idol and cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. I mean, they took some time with this thing. It's pretty nice. Solid gold. And then they said, then listen to this. Then they said, these are the gods. This is what got us out of Egypt. I want to, let me give you a lesson in theology today. There is a term that's used in theology, and it has two, it, there's two different recipes, but it's called replacement theology. And replacement theology is what you just saw here for the first time in history. You see, we're going to take something of great value, gold, and we're going to have unity and bring everyone's going to have a little part of it. Boy, this sounds religious to me. This sounds good. We're all going to, that, that, that's part of me in that calf. I mean, all of us, we all gave our, and we're going to melt it down into one thing and compromise everything we've ever known, and we're going to come up with an image, and we're all going to start saying that is the power of God in our life. And I can tell you that is the downfall of the church and individuals today. These are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. Verse 5, and Aaron saw this. He built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow we're going to have a festival. Verse 6 says, on the next day, the people arose and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink, and they had an orgy. And I'm not kidding you. It was one of the biggest, most vulgar things. They got drunk and had an orgy. Tens of thousands around this false God. There's been paintings of it. There's been images of what went on there. But it was, it was what happens when we forget God. It's what happens when we replace anything in our life with God. It's what happens when we think this is okay and it's not the word. 
And it's not the Holy Spirit's involvement. Then the Lord said to Moses, get down. Because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. And they've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. And have found themselves an idol cast into the shape of a calf. And they bowed down to it and sacrificed to it. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought us out of Egypt. What an incredible decline in the matter of less than two months. God was furious. These people are stiff-necked. His anger burnt. He wanted to destroy them. But Moses reminded him, God, don't you remember? Do you remember the covenant that you made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Do you remember the covenant of they will be like the sea, sand on the sea and the stars in the sky, and there will always be someone on that throne? And he says, please, remember your covenant and don't destroy these people. Then the Lord relented, verse 14, and did not bring on his people the disaster he'd threatened. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain to two tablets. Here's, look at this, ten commandments. This is from God, etched by his finger. It's absolutely ten plans, ten steps that will absolutely keep them right in the eyes of God. It was the key to him and everything. By him, to them, simplicity, but still profound. And Moses turned and went down the mountain with the tablets in his hand. And they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. And the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablet. And when Joshua heard this noise, listen to this word. When he heard this noise, the noise of the people in the camp, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. But Moses replied, look at this, this is a profound statement. Look at this. Moses says, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing. What's wrong with singing? He's saying this, this isn't the sound of victory in me. It's not the sound of defeat asking me. It is an abandonment of the need for me, and it's just singing. And I'm going to tell you this, and again, think of me what you would like, but when we get in religious circles with five or ten or, or 50 people or 10,000 people, and we're singing for our benefit, it's just singing. When we sing in this church, we're not singing Worship, and we're not worshiping worship. We're singing to God and worshiping Him. That's the difference. Moses said that isn't going on right now. He said it's just a lot of noise. Religious noise without any depth. Religious, oh, I love Christian music. I like Christian music too. I have some friends very involved in it. I believe in it. But I'm going to tell you something more important than anything else is I love worship to Jesus above everything. Amen? He says, it's noise. 
And when Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf, oh my goodness, and the dancing, now his anger burnt and he took the promises of God and he throws them down on, on boulders and they crack into a thousand pieces. I mean, he's had it. He's tired. He's worn out with the apathy. He's worn out with the games. He's worn out with false religion. He's worn out with the noise of worship, but no worship in it. Just their ha- And it degrades and degrades and degrades. And it compromises and compromises. And that's what will happen without the involvement of the Holy Spirit in any service or any church. When he saw them dancing, his anger burnt, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf and he crushed it and burned it and made dust out of it and spread it on the water and made them drink it. He said, you want, you want that? Drink it. See what it'll do for you. It's empty. There's no power in it. All that thing that you put together that was so great, it's nothing. It's empty. And then he goes to Aaron and goes, what were you doing? What were you thinking? And Aaron does what sin will make you do. He lies to his brother. Well, the people came to me, and they wanted to God. And I said, bring me all your gold. I thought we'd make an offering to God. We threw it in the fire, and whoop, here comes the calf. What a liar. Now, let me just ask you something. Talk to me right now. Online, talk to me right now. Listen to me. Doesn't that sound stupid? Really? I threw 10,000 earrings into the fire, and whoop, came a golden calf out of it. <laughs> Somebody tell me that sounds stupid. And so do the things that I'm hearing today that people are trying to tell me that's okay and acceptable by God, and it's as stupid as throwing earrings in a fire and a calf coming out of it when I hear people that are trying to take sin and turn it into righteousness and things that are perversion before God's eyes and say they're acceptable and morals that are not in the Word of God, and they say, and if I come against it, then I'm closed-minded, I'm narrow-minded, and I hate, I don't hate, I I love, I love everyone, I love every sinner, I've been one, but I hate sin because it's a trap. And it eventually will catch you. And there's no getting out of it besides help from Jesus. So Moses says this, and here's the title of the message tonight. Verse 26. So Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, who's on the Lord's side? Enough of this foolishness. Who's on the side of the Lord? You know this isn't right. You know this isn't God. You know this isn't holiness. Who is on the side of the Lord? And the Bible says, then he said to them, who's, he said this in verse 26. So he stood at the entrance camp and said, who is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites, this was the separating of the tribe of Levite from, the other tw- from all the twelve. All the Levites came to him in unity. 
All the, all the Levites, these were the ones that say, I have separated myself from sin. We didn't partake in this. We didn't buy it. We're not going to buy it. We were kind of ostracized. We were looked at funny. We weren't in and we weren't even acceptable. And we were doing, why don't you just go along? And we didn't just go along. We said we're going to stay with the word and we're going to stay with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Moses said, if you're on the Lord's side, come. And every Levite of that tribe came and surrounded him. And he said, okay, strap on your sword and destroy the sin in the camp. And those priests, that's the day they became priests, goes through the camp and it said it didn't matter if it was their brother or their uncle or anyone. Relationships, friendships, nothing at all would allow that compromise to exist around them. It was 3,000 were slain. 3,000. They took their lives. And then Moses said this. Listen to verse 29. You have been set apart of the Lord today. My friends, when you say, whether my family loves me or hates me, whether friends like me or not, whether people accept me or reject me, I am standing on the Lord's side. He said, because, listen to this, you have set yourself apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. He's saying this, nothing, nothing, Nothing meant more to you than serving me. No relationship. You think you can cohabitate with sin. You think you can allow some in your life. You think you can live with this little deal because compared to that person, I'm not as bad. And God doesn't work that way. He said, I've offered an avenue of perfection and cleansing and it's even to the point of being rebirth, reborn, starting all over, absolutely new. And there's nothing at all in the area of compromise, none, that you have to have, but you need to remove it. And when you do, I'm going to set you apart. And he says he's going to have a kingdom of, of kings and priests. This is how the Levites became where they were. This was the growth of a nation. This was a growth of a nation that didn't inherit land like the rest of them. The Levites inherited the leadership of the temple. They were there. They led them in worship. They led them in praise. They were the leaders of God's people in that religious time, that relationship with God because they didn't compromise even to the point of their own family, friends, and everything they had. So here's the message this evening. Who's on the Lord's side? If you're on the Lord's side, come join me.
I remember Brother Jerry and Sister Merlin used to sing, who's on the Lord's side forever? Who's on the side of the right? Who's on the Lord's side forever? Who's on the side of the right? I say I am. I can only say I am for me. Let me see if you're on the Lord's side. Would you tell me? I believe it. I believe it. If you're watching online tonight, all you have to say is, I'm on the Lord's side. He'll accept you. He'll bring you in. He'll hold you near to him, and he'll straighten out any confusion you have, and he'll give you the strength to say, I will not compromise. I won't step aside. I won't, join. I won't be part of anything that's not you. I won't be part of anything that isn't all you. Raise your hands with me right now and just say, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Lord, it's not what I understand or what I believe. It's what the Word says. The Word says it. Surrender to me. Give, my, give your life to me. Lay down everything. Our, our, our life, just offering ourselves to you as a reasonable sacrifice. Take me, Lord. And I'm asking you right now as Israel had to do, Lord, search me. I, I've prayed this prayer. See if there's any compromise in my life and help me, Lord, with it. Help me. Take it away from me. God, yeah, people say, oh, you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's a lie. Jesus helps us. He helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us. Help me, Lord. Remove anything in my life. Anything. Anything that would separate me from total separation with you. God, it's not isolation in the world, but it's separation from the world, from sin. Help us. God, and when we seek you this way, there's going to be a reaction from you that's absolutely unbelievable. It's supernatural, and it's from you. God, take our lives tonight. Help us, God, not in unity of holding hands and being in one thought, but in unity with you, your love, we surrender. We take our shoes off. You're holy. We bow before you. We don't question you. We say, what message do you have for me? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? Take my life. In Jesus' name, take me. Let me ask you this while we're all up here first. Anyone here that says, I don't, I haven't really accepted Jesus in my life and, and I'm praying this prayer, but I want to, I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm his child without a question and I'm not real sure, but I want to know. If you're watching online as well, oh, this is the most beautiful time and the greatest place and opportunity in the world to have that. I've done it and it's wonderful. It's simply saying, I want to make sure that I know I'm not sure. If there's anyone who's not sure, let me see your hand. I'll pray with you. I see hands up. I want you to pray with me right now, everyone in here. If your hand's raised right now, Jesus is going to come into your heart 1,000%. Born again, cleansed and renewed and made new. I want everyone in here to pray this. And I want you to pray this like you're standing alone somewhere. Repeat this after me. If you're online, watch this. Listen, say these things. Or pray this with me right now. Jesus. I come to you, a sinner. We're all sinners. 
We have to come to you for help. Come into my heart. Change me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Take my mind. Take my heart. Take my spirit completely. I give myself to you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe only you, your blood. I believe only your blood can forgive me of my sins. I repent. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I accept you as Lord of my life. Rebirth me. Remake me. I surrender to you. I accept you. And now you're my Lord. And you're my Savior. And with your help and the help of the Holy Spirit, I'll serve you all the days of my life. I am saved. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's real. That's authentic. That's what happens when we trust Jesus. Oh, whew, I want to dance a little bit. Why? I was at a birthday. I was at a birthday. I'm at a birthday right now. I'm in a nursery. There's some new babies in here. There's some new babies online. There's some old babies that got a new fresh touch tonight. Can you say amen? amen. I love Jesus, don't you? Lift your hands right now and thank him. Thank him. Man, you say, I don't even know what I did, I think, but I know I wanted to do. Jesus will take it from there. Baby's a baby. He'll feed you. He'll lead you just like a newborn baby. He'll take you and nurture you and strengthen you, and you'll learn to walk and talk and grow up in him. Just stay with Jesus. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for tonight, mighty God. And I'll praise you for what you are doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you accepted the Lord tonight and you didn't, find pastors, hold your hands up quickly. Everybody look around. See these hands? Uh, find one of these pastors and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Please, please, just take a minute. Hold, go to them and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. My name's, and but don't say my, you know, use your name. Would you do that? And then we want to just give some information to you. Now, Sunday morning, the Lord's already burning a message in me. And then Sunday night, we're going to have a great fellowship of four churches coming together. Be here Sunday morning, church. Fill this house up and let's watch the presence of God move. Can you say amen? Joining us Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, make that a mandate. Be with us. We thank God for you being here tonight. We'll look for you at 10 a.m. here at the Sanctuary of Hope in Branson, Missouri. Sunday morning at 10 a.m. God bless you.